This is a podcast from Rover. Welcome back into part two of Rex Real Exchange. Also heard on Today FM, or you might be listening to a podcast wherever you are, whatever you might be doing. Listen back anytime to the farming and rural show that brings together all corners of the country, bridges that urban uh, rural divide, and uh, not forgetting the occasional rural rural divide. Righty ho, all this thanks to Carter's Tyres. Kicking things off this hour, we head down to Otago University for a chat with Professor Hugh Campbell. Now, we did sort of promo this uh, chat last week a little bit, um, but um, strange things happened. Uh, we won't dwell on that. But anyway, uh, we decided there were a lot of topics that we needed to talk about uh, to get uh, Professor Campbell's expertise. He was on our show earlier in the year. And of course, Cyclone Gabriel has dominated the discussions over the last few weeks. And it's our pleasure to welcome Hugh back onto the show for his perspective. Good morning, Hugh. Yeah, good morning. How are you guys going? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. Uh, look, uh, great to have you back on the show, and uh, and and it's, it's people have been waiting, sort of salivating to get this for the last week because we we promised this interview last week didn't quite happen. Look, um, think, think, look, it's been the story of our lives at the moment. It's unexpected interruptions, <laughs> exactly. but that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Look. Firstly, uh, let's talk about what we can draw on from New Zealand rural history to better understand this current cyclone Gabriel crisis. Yes, um, I've been thinking, I mean, it's been such a huge drama and I think that we're still really only getting a sense of the scope of what's happened now. And Mm. I think a lot of people are, are clearly going to be feeling hugely overwhelmed uh, and, and concerned and, and wondering what the future holds. And during, during a lot of the discussion that's been going on, I, I just, my mind went back to the previous times this has happened. There's been a lot of talk about Cyclone Bola, of course, in 1988. But actually, I, I was thinking of something earlier in New Zealand rural history and, and right in the area, and that's the, the writings of the great farmer and scientist Herbert Guthrie Smith, who lived in in Tutira and wrote about Tutira from the 1880s to the 1940s. Right. Okay. So, so we'll t- yeah, give us give us a look at he. I mean, he was talking about things a century ago that we should really have right back on the table now. It's. I mean, his book. He he was a prolific writer and he was a he was a brilliant man. Uh, just one of those. It's one of those classic New Zealand immigrant stories where. You know, uh, uh, the son of a obviously reasonably well-educated family decides not to go to university uh, in Scotland or England and comes out here wanting to farm. And he he, he turns out to be one of the, the most sort of brilliant scientific minds and most careful observers of the of the science and uh, of New Zealand's farming and landscape that we've really had. He's an absolute national treasure, and he and it was all self-taught. He, he, he had taught himself, really, uh, a whole lot of uh, stuff about the science of landscape and the, the nature of all the species and his farm and the like. So his story, his story has become this, it, it, it sort of tells two stories simultaneously. One is that his book, uh, Tutira, about his own farm, Tutira, the story of a New Zealand sheep station, uh, that he originally wrote in 1921, uh, became the sort of it became a bestseller at the time. It was a, it was a book you would see on every farm bookshelf in the sort of the middle of the 20th century in New Zealand because it's a ripping yarn about setting up a colonial farm and the, the drama of it, the huge challenges they faced and then this period of reflection where he, at the end of his life he looks back on this, this huge story about his farm 
Uh, but the second thing uh, that that story became was the most remarkable scientific document because he, he increasingly became interested in the science of his landscape and, the, and, and he began wandering around his farm. I mean, they had tens of thousands of hectares, but he was wandering around out there on his horse and he had a little notebook and he was making little pen and ink drawings of every little, every little weed and every new plant he found and every little insect. And he began keeping meticulous records of everything that was happened. And a whole lot of New Zealand farmers uh, read this book in the middle of the 20th century and went, yeah, that's what happened on our farm. No one's ever explained it quite like that, but you know the journey that a farm takes from its establishment in the 1880s to when he uh, when he dies in 1940s. This remarkable story of what happens on your land, and it's become this like a founding document about the the science mm. of landscape change in New Zealand, all written by an amateur farmer. Mm. Mm. What sort of things did he write about that we should take note of to, that are still relevant today? Because I know I drive past, well, I wouldn't be driving past in the next wee while because I don't think I'd be able to mm. get there, but, you know, the Guthrie Smith Centre by Lake Tutera, and I assume that is uh, named after him. But what sort of lessons could we be still applying to, to today? Well, he's, uh, the reason why my mind turned back to this book is because uh, in the story, the, in the end, it's a 60, nearly 60-year 60 story he tells about this one farm. Um, the, the, there are certain absolutely decisive key events that happen twice in his time as a farmer there. They're both massive flood events. And there's a flood just around the First World War that he writes about extensively. And uh, his description of that flood is incredibly vivid in, in, in the way in which he describes this, the hillsides bursting open. Um, and uh, just sort of the, 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 the soil and the silt spewing down the hillside and this most incredible poetic writing uh, written from a farmer who he, he wrote it all from the position he absolutely loved his land he, 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 and I think this is why a lot of farmers really relate to Guthrie Smith is that he absolutely loved that piece of land and he's watching it in the farm around the First World War and he's watching, he writes about his hillsides erupting open and everything just spewing down the hillsides with this sense of fascination and horror and despair but the flood that really gets to him is 1938 and if you've seen any of the photographs that have been going around Facebook lately or other social media sites of uh, the flood and this it's like it's like the scenes from Esk Valley now you know these are all black and white photographs but it's mm. farmhouses where there's 10 feet of silt uh, right up nearly to the, uh, well over the door frames and, and the like and you've got and and it's that 1938 flood was such a, a, a massive event. It was, it was the largest flood event then before Bola. Mm. And well, I think story, that it, 1938 flood did the same thing to the Esk Valley as it, it did. has It today. absolutely did, you know, which is, which yeah. is just... And, and, and Guthrie Smith experienced with this because Tutira is not far north of Esk Valley. And no. N no. And so Guthrie Smith... He, 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 he experienced that 38 flood, and then by then the book had already become a bestseller. Yeah. And he went back and rewrote the book, and the third edition, which is the one that's really poignant and evocative, uh, is the one that he the one that he wrote the third that he wrote after the 38 flood. When he looks at it and goes, I think we've got the model wrong. I think I've I've loved this farm and I've loved everything we've done, but certain of the battles I'm fighting with my environment. I realise now are battles we can't win and we need to change our land use model. And if, if, when, he, when he writes back about that, um, 
uh, when, he, when he's writing in 1939 in his journal, or just in the year after the flood, he says, you know, just, if I read it out from here, it's, it's haunting. He says, a single sentence, one is sufficient, will make clear to the reader what has occurred. The countryside has been transformed from a sponge into a slate. Mm. And he says, it's like, we, we are no longer a flood, flood-proof country. We can't do this. And so this is right at the end of his life. And so at the very end of his life, they sell off most of the station, uh, they helped, they let it be, they subdivided it out into a whole lot of new farms because he was very, very concerned about things like soldier settlement and getting new farms for people. And the last remainder, he sets up this trust. Uh, and part of the work of that trust is to think about, and this is the one, uh, Rebecca, you've been driving past all these years. Part yes. of that trust is an arboretum where he says, we've got to experiment with how to bring trees back into this landscape. We've got to learn. We've got to start now and learn. And so it's that rethinking about what do we do with pasture that just won't hold in a flood anymore and how do we turn it back into trees yeah, and I, I think this is this is what I immediately thought about this book uh, when when Gabriel happened yeah I looked at this uh, one of the in our earlier discussion that didn't quite make it to air here I, the, he, you, you sort of, I think it's paraphrasing a little bit but uh, he, he sort of said I've done all this work to protect my land and my animals but probably it was my practices that uh, caused many of the problems. Yeah. That's right. He, yeah. he, and when he writes uh, after the 38 flood, he says, I've realised now, you know, that it's, it's, not, it's not how do you stock to prevent erosion. He says the way in which we're stocking the land is causing the erosion. And, uh, and that's why he's, he's particularly, uh, there's, a, there's a little piece of land uh, into Terra that he calls the hangar, which is the steep hill slope, and for the first 20 years of the farm's life, he tries to, this comes up again and again in the story of his farm, he tries to stock it, he tries to pasture it, tries to hold it in grass, and it just keeps falling off the hillside. And by 1896, he says, OK, we're locking up the gates on that one. I'm just going to let whatever wants to happen in there. And he watched for the rest of his life quite excitedly as the native bush began to regenerate. And in the end, by 1938, the hangar is one of the only bits of the farm that holds on wow. in the big flood. Yeah. And so that's that's was part Isn't of the inspiration for forming. Mm. Yeah, was was for forming the Guthrie Smith Trust was to say, we've got to bring trees back into this landscape, uh, but you've got to bring them back in a way in which it's like there's a whole lot of those old growth native trees as well as manuka, which can basically stick to the hillside, start holding those hillsides up again. We've got to learn to farm with the trees again, and it's really poignant looking back on it because this is not the first time that Guthrie Smith's names come up come up in New Zealand of course he was discussed enormously after Cyclone Bola and you know the government poured a huge amount of money and dozens of consultants were um, were brought in to try and think about you know the, the sort of the realization that there's just land up there you can't hold in pasture anymore it's got to go into trees and a whole lot of people at the time said Guthrie Smith has shown us the kind of regeneration we need up there they, they've told us what kind of trees that go in. But, of course, as we now know from history, the thing that went in was uh, short-rotation plantation pines, which were turned out to be uh, not the greatest solution. No. In fact, you know, 30 years later, as we're clear-felling clear, clear those plantations, they turned into a time bomb. No. Um, I, and so, yeah, here we are again. I guess my question is, is, you know, Guthrie Smith wrote about this, then he was discussed again after Bowler, now we've had Cyclone Gabriel. Has anything actually changed since he wrote that book or and has revised, you know, third, up to his third edition? And can we afford to ignore these lessons that these sort of 
natural disasters are teaching us any longer? Absolutely not. Um, and I think that the, the story of the east coast of New Zealand is, is it's like the bellwether or the canary in the coal mine for the whole of New Zealand, which is that that's such a it's such a precious and fragile landscape up there. And it's always been a very marginal pastoral proposition up there because of the fragility of the soils combined with the steepness of the slopes. So what happens in what happens in the east coast is like the signal for where we go with a whole lot of hill country in New Zealand in terms of pastoralism. And I think what what we're learning now is that we're always experimenting, we're always learning again. And all over the East Coast now, there will be places like the Arboretum at the Trust at Tutira. Uh, and there'll be other places. There's a, there's a number of Maori landing corporations like Waihapua that have been practicing trialing new trees, tree strategies and new agroforestry strategies. And those are the places we have to learn from. We've tried plantation pines up there. Um, and... They haven't been a great solution. No. They've, they've turned. Yeah. They, they really haven't been a great solution at all. And they're, they're accompanied by a piece of legislation that is driving the wrong outcomes up there. Um, it's like a, someone, uh, an agricultural uh, scientist friend of mine was describing the problem of the uh, ETS driving the emissions trading scheme, driving the conversion into into pine plantations. Was saying it's like it's like we created a. In America, they had the cash for clunkers scheme to get old, uh, you know, old inefficient cars off the road. You get paid a cash, a cash payment to get your clunker off the road. He said, but we created a cash for, a cash for clunkers scheme in, 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 in the East Coast in which they were offering more cash for your clunker than they were basically for a brand new Cadillac. Uh, and as a result, you know, the replacement scheme just got massively, massively overfunded <laughs> with, 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 you know, with, with pines. Yeah. And, yeah, we, yeah, we need a total different policy approach to how we bring the trees back in up there because, you know, we, the, the, yeah, we, we, need, yeah. we need options for farmers up there. Well, I'll put it another way. The options for where we go will already be there. Because yeah. people experiment. Guthrie Smith started this, you know, when he when he locked up the hangar in the 1890s and let the trees come back in. People all over that coast have been experimenting with how to bring trees sustainably back into that landscape in ways that would allow us to farm it as well. Mm. And those are the lessons we've got to learn. Yeah. yeah many lessons to be learned. Let's hope they are learned. And, uh, you know, as you said, uh, here the post-bowl of what we did up there, you know, ticking time bomb, complete fail, Let's hope that this stays uh, very much uh, in the in the sp- under the spotlight, and uh, we can get on and, and learn the lessons. But fantastic to raise this the story of a New Zealand sheep station, the last edition. Hugh, when was that? Around about 1940, was it? After the 38. The flood. last edition was well. There was a, a fourth edition put out yeah. by his family. And what I'd leave yeah. you with is this yeah. from that book, because it's the other part of that book. And I'll sign off and saying, G- Guthrie Smith, like so many farmers, he. He, this was his labour of love. He loved that piece of land. And, and the way in which he writes that story has been inspiring for farm families over the generations because it's like it's a story of trial and crisis and response. But we do it because we love that land. And I think that that's the message is that the next phase, the next phase of what happens up on the East Coast has got to be driven for our passion and our excitement and our love for what can happen up there as farmers and not, not feeling like we're browbeaten or beaten down by external agencies coming in and do us. Because there's going to be more Gabriels, there's going to be more storms, but we love that land and we are going to find ways in which we can still be there to face the next, the next storms. 
Brilliant. Thank you very much. That is Professor Hugh Campbell out of Otago University. The book is uh, To Terror, the Story of a New Zealand Sheep Station. It goes right back to 21 and goes through to a fourth edition as well. William Herbert Guthrie-Smith. yeah, incredible foresight. What a, what a legend. I'm looking forward to getting a hold of that, and especially that third edition. I really want to have a, a read of that after the 1938 floods there. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, the team from Findex, they have been down in uh, at the at the Wanaka AMP show down in that part of the world. So we're going to catch up to Findex uh, agribusiness partner Alistair King next on the show.